0: This is a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station.
1: Hello, and with me, Kam Rastan, today we have the returns of. She is the voice of the news. She's the Walter Cronkite of Malaysia, um, on BFM. She is Dania Naya.
2: Hello, I'm. I'm glad you think so highly of
1: me. <laughs> In, uh, uh, it's authority and dignity and uh, trust. So, uh, and he, uh, same things actually go for this fellow who. Um, I, I I never know what to say you do, Matt. You never give me any, any hint. But for me, he is the man who knows technology inside out. Matt Armitage.
0: Hi, can. I'm I'm just made up that you've described me as having authority, dignity, and I can be trusted. I don't care what people think I, can, <laughs> I do <laughs> after
1: that. <laughs> uh, we got, you're going to have to live up to that now, Matt. Um, so our three topics this week will be topic number one, the revenge trope. And in movies, and and in life. And topic number two is what is privacy these days. And finally, topic number three: parasocial relationships. So, with topic number one, the revenge trope. I was watching uh, a movie, a modern day classic, Taken Two, and and uh, I love I love the Taken movies. Oh, and Matt Matt does too. <laughs> Don't oh, you? absolutely.
2: I do love Taken. I do. I do love uh, Liam Neeson taking back that, bad guys down. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> it's such a simple concept. But um in Taken 2, the the whole underpinning and this is very common very common in American movies and I don't know I've never really tested to see if it's a uh, culturally consistent ac- across the world, but it's it it's, uh, it's based on revenge. Um the the father of all the people that Liam Neeson killed in The First Taken decides he wants revenge. And it, it, it's a funny old thing, revenge, because um, Shakespeare's longest play, Hamlet, is, is essentially about revenge. And at the very beginning of the play, he is told by his father, Hamlet is told by his, the ghost of his father, avenge me. So, okay, you've got to go and avenge me. Then for the re- next, what, three and a half, four hours, uh, Hamlet kind of like, yeah, but this revenge stuff's really weird and, uh, and fails to do it in the end. And, and I'm wondering if oh, we can all think of movies that are underpinned by revenge and they're quite satisfying, but is it that revenge is something that is a satisfying emotion for 90 minutes of one's life? Or can you really, as the characters do, sustain revenge over a period of what would be several months, or even years? I think I, I'm wondering if revenge—it's based on whether or not you you think you're worth anything or capable of anything. So, like, for me to to, to actually try to commit revenge, it'd be like, what's the point? Who the hell am I? I'm not, and I'll, I'll never succeed. I don't know anybody. <laughs> And I don't have I don't have the special skills that Liam Neeson has. Brian Mills is his character's name. So I don't know. I wonder if um, revenge is just something that works in movies, and we enjoy it uh, precisely because we know we cannot do it in our own lives. Hey, Matt, are you are you a, a vengeful person?
0: I don't think I am. Uh, just because it takes so much energy. Yeah. You know, it really takes a I lot know. of energy to hate someone sufficiently that you dedicate your life to persecuting them, to, you know, trying to achieve that that revenge. But um, I, I get what you mean about um, the, the kind of satisfying nature of seeing it on screen, but there are those parallels in real life. You know, there are those, you know, Sicilian blood feuds, Albanian blood feuds. I think they have them in, in maybe the Basque country as well. Where you hear about sort of villages that have basically been at war with each other or extended families for hundreds of years. And there's just this kind of ongoing tit for tat mm. um, attribution, and every killing sparks a new killing.
1: Mm. And Danya, are you? I, I'm going to say no. <laughs> Honestly, but, but,
2: Matt was like, it's so time consuming and like energy consuming i'm like yes i think I, if anyone ever wronged me i would never do anything about it because the effort it would take to do something back is too much and like there's no real point to do it but but i think i i do think um there are real life examples like Matt said i'm not gonna say a sicilian food, feud but um there are i mean we, we all know the, the term karens and i think Uh, In recent times, there's a lot of... If you easily search it up on the internet, anywhere, YouTube, uh, Instagram, wherever, but you can always find a video of a Karen and there's always a video title like Karen's getting what they deserve or Karen's, you know, um, getting called out. So it's always satisfying to see those kind of videos, I guess. I aspire to be those kind of people who can stand back and like, um, you know, (laughs) commit revenge. I don't know if Red's the right word for that situation, but... Um. Yeah. I, I. I. would. I would like to be the type of person who could be smart enough to like, go through with revenge, but yeah. I. I need to like. You I, I need to like. I don't know. Take some iron tablets and let maybe I'll. You know, oh, but but, but, but what you're
1: saying is that your kind of form of revenge would be very clever and insidious, and uh, it wouldn't be a violent
2: one. No, um, no, no. It wouldn't no. be violent. I think. I think violence is a. Is a. I think revenge in a violent form is kind. I think I think well, if you if you do it like, uh, am I just like, I don't know, revealing no, what you, the thoughts right now. But...
1: always, always done. Yeah, but um, I, I'd agree with you because like I was watching a, a Korean film the other day, and um, my, my wife popped in at the very last part. So the 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 movie was it, was it was essentially a revenge film, and at the very last part, the good guy is beating to death the bad guy. Um, so and she she doesn't like violent films i don't like them either but she doesn't like it. she was like oh it's just horrible it's just like it's just it's just gratuitous violence but me on the other hand i have been watching the film so i was really invested it was like yes finish him mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no not yet more pain then finish him <laughs> i think there's kind of um uh, there is that voyeuristic element to it so i mean i was you know thinking about um what daniel was saying and as you said it's a very kind of kind interpretation of uh, of schadenfreude and i don't think i'd be that kind i don't think i'm invested enough to to you know actively try and destroy people but if somebody was having their comeuppance in front of me i think i'd quite happily be a spectator you know if there was someone i really disliked and i saw them being knocked over by a car for example I don't think I'd call an ambulance. I'd probably just <laughs> sit there and wait to to see what happened. Or if you know somebody's house was on fire, oh, no. I'd just be like standing there going, Well, you know, somebody else will call the fire brigade. Let's see if anyone gets out.
1: Okay. So Dania, um, the the revenge genre, if that's a thing, or trope. Sorry, the revenge trope, it, it appeals to you or not?
2: Uh I guess I guess it does. I mean, sometimes every now and again you just want to see something that where, because there are so many unfair situations in the world that I think just watching it on film gives you a satisfaction you don't get in <laughs> real life. So I, I'm quite into it. My 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 favorite um, movie I would say is I don't know what year it came out, but it's called Man on Man on Fire. It's a Denzel Washington movie <laughs> with Dakota Fanning, and and towards the end, basically mm, he's a bodyguard, yeah. and then he takes care of Dakota Fanning. She gets kidnapped, blah blah blah, there's all lot of stuff there, um, and in the end, he like you know kills all these people to find her and um, and at the end, he he saves her, but he also dies at the end. And I, and I thought it was an interesting. I always like this kind of movies, but yeah, the wrench was there, and it was satisfying to see him, you know, beat all these men up and talk with everyone, whatever it is. But but also there's the, and there's also the thing about sometimes revenge isn't satisfied. There isn't satisfying. Like the, like there is a negative side to it. Sometimes it doesn't always end a hundred percent in the best way. But but yeah. it's, it, it's a good it's a trope it's a good trope to watch every, watch every once in a while. I don't think it's something you should watch all the time. I think that might be concerning. you uh, you watching it all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I don't watch it all the time. So okay. Don't, don't Just be a concerned. Second But no, I I agree with you with the with the Man on Fire thing, but also with, let's say, these Liam Neeson type films. He's very good at portraying this um, kind of downtrodden everyman, um. <laughs> and and that and so I'm like, okay, that's me. I, I associate with him. He's not. Got superpowers, but then it turns out he has superpowers, <laughs> and you know it's like God. I wish I, I wish I had those special skills. Um, and it's, it's in, it's enjoyable to imagine that that one could solve problems with one's fists. But I mean, I gotta be. I'd be terrible if I had those. Um. Okay. So um, I will continue after I finish watching Taken Two. I'll probably go back to Taken. And then skip ahead to Taken 3. Is there a Taken 4? I don't know. Okay.
0: I, I think so. I think you're down to about third cousins by the time it's uh, Taken 3 or four. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So we move on then. Topic number two, Matt Armitage. What is privacy?
0: Well, yeah. Um, so I, I just um, recently did a story about this uh, new technology that um, basically allows somebody to be outside your house and use a dish to tap your Wi-Fi signals and to map every single object uh, within your your home, building, room. It can see movement, but it can also see stationary objects. So this is a technology that was created uh, at the University of California, Santa Barbara. The system is called uh, WiFRact. This is not something that was done, for example, on some remote corner of the, the, the dark web. This is technology that's been created uh, at a reputable uh, university, Uh, and essentially they're just using normal equipment. They actually mounted a Wi-Fi transmitter to a radio-controlled car, and they drove it around, and they were able to map the contents of buildings in real time using, using algorithms just by driving this car around. It was so detailed. That they were even able to make out. Um, you know, when people have those kind of textured paintings, so the words are actually, you know, three-dimensional, they were able to actually read that three-dimensional text through a wall. So we're coming into this age where all of these, these kind of um normal ideas of privacy are being challenged by technology. So I really just wanted to ask both of you what you consider to be privacy how those ideas of privacy have have changed and how we actually guard and maintain that that privacy because you know for me i'm I'm quite careful about what I share on social media I know I have this uh, I'm not exactly a public person but I have a you know a, a public facing persona so I don't post a lot of very personal information on my social media. But at the same time, my address and my mobile phone number are out there everywhere. And, you know, you're certainly amongst sort of millennials and uh, sort of Gen Z, this idea of being docs, somebody getting their, their telephone number or their, their address is, you know, the, the most invasive uh sort of thing somebody can can do to their privacy. Whereas for me that's normal because, you know, as a kid we had our address published in a phone book. Yeah. So I was used to that. So I just wondered what for both of you, what privacy actually means and if that's being challenged by by the advance of technology.
1: I don't know, don't I I'm a bit a state of shock that 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 <laughs> Everything can be seen. So, whilst i go put some trousers on, uh, <laughs> D- Danya, you're a, you're a millennial, aren't you? Is it millennial?
2: Yeah, yeah, millennial. Um, okay,
1: but you've grown up with this. So how do you feel?
2: Yeah to, to be to be honest, um, because of how far technology has gone. And first of all, I want to ask, why did that university think it was necessary to make that technology in the first place? Hello. Uh,
0: because one of the things it can be used for is um, it can be used in building management control systems. So yeah. it does have a, a, a kind of a normal application. So for example, rather than having invasive cameras everywhere in the building that are recording what people are doing, they can just use it to map trends. So it's a way of kind of anonymizing the information that a, a Building control system, might see. Yeah, you just
1: made what are you trying to make it sound reasonable by saying no? They're just <laughs> using it for for enhanced. Well, no, torture. I mean
0: if you, <laughs> if you, I mean if you, if you think about um, uh, buildings, even uh, Manara Ken, where BFM is, that has quite an advanced building management system as far okay. as I'm aware. So there are a lot of cameras and sensors all over the place that take mm-hmm. readings, and uh, so that uh, you can adjust things like airflow, you can adjust temperature, you oh can yes, sure, humidity. Okay. All, all of that kind of thing, but a lot of that also relies on cameras. So, using this kind of system, it's one. It's a way of cutting down cost because you don't have to have lots of cameras everywhere. You just read the Wi-Fi signals that are already being transmitted all over the the, the building. Um, but also, it is it is less invasive in the sense that you're not seeing individual people. You're just seeing. The outline of what people
1: are doing. Okay, so Dania, now that uh, Matt has <laughs> made us so, so much nicer, <laughs> how do you feel I now? I
2: still feel I still feel invaded. Um, even though nothing's happened to me yet, uh, um, so far as I know. But um, to me, the idea of privacy doesn't exist. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I have accepted that my information is out there, regardless of whether yeah. I've ever been hacked or whatever it is. I, I'm, I'm prepared. I it's more weird to me if people don't have my information. Like the idea that they don't have it will be weird to me. Um, and in terms of, especially like with, with everything online, everything's available. I do try to, like in terms of social media, I don't post a lot. Um, and I don't, when I was younger, when Facebook was coming out and you just sort of, you um, you like, add every person in your family, in your, your school, you don't know them very well, you add. Now I'm very careful about that. I, I go to like a yearly thing where I delete people off, um, not because maybe <laughs> I don't just like them, but also, you know, as like a privacy thing, I don't know who they are, like why are they following me? We probably met once at an event when I was, uh, you know, covering a news thing and now we're friends. So I just sort of remove them. So I, I like to keep that as small as possible. I try to keep it with people I know in, in real life, but I don't know if, like that works. Like I, I feel like, Someone I know will see my content, you know, they'll tell it to someone else and it just kind of passes around anyway. And and I, I don't think, you put in all the most extreme things in the settings of social media, but I feel like it's probably easily hackable. I don't have confidence in the settings. I just put them. it gives me like a false sense of security. But, but to me, the... the Privacy is probably me in my bathroom. That's me. That's my privacy. Me in my bathroom, that's the privacy <laughs> I got, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But outside of outside of that, I feel like there's no there's no privacy.
1: Yeah. Of course, in, in George Orwell's classic 1984, uh, the protagonist Winston Smith, he he discovers that there's one tiny corner of his apartment where the surveillance cameras can't see him, so he thinks. And he <laughs> writes a journal. Um, but I would um I would wonder. Danya, if you are a transitional generation between the likes of myself and Matt and people who are obviously younger still, and whose um personalities, I mean, it it is actually shaping your, whether you know it or not, it shapes your <laughs> your ideas about who you are. And if if you've abdicated responsibility, well, not responsibility, abdicated a sense of privacy. Um, so younger people still. Putting, are they not putting themselves out there? Um, but it's just a persona.
2: I I would, I would think so. I, and I think, especially in the age of the influencer, I think people are sort of selling themselves, selling an image of themselves. So, and I think because they're younger, they're a bit more tech savvy and they're a bit more wiser about setting up boundaries. I think, um, because especially with things like YouTube, when people started doing YouTube, there was no sense of privacy or, or boundaries. Like every you would just say anything on online because it was such a new thing, so exciting. People would just sort of expose everything that was going on. But now but nowadays I do feel like the younger generation are a bit more aware of that. And and people who are parents who are like my age or a bit older are sort of also more aware of that. But but I I probably do think that there's probably um a lot of self-esteem issues happening. In mm. the younger generation, also no. No, <laughs> because no, no, no. of that, um, yeah. But I would, I would imagine, to the younger generation, privacy also is a thing that doesn't exist in yeah. their minds. I would imagine, like you know, TikTok is is just an example of that. I, I would say,
1: yeah, because yes, it's going straight to the uh, Chinese government. So, uh, <laughs> Matt Armitage, you and I, the lost generation. I mean, you know, I'm also given up on the notion of privacy, haven't I? Uh about you?
0: I have. Largely as well. I mean, you know, we we can use information um, to inform, but we can also use information to disarm. So I know one of my uh, tactics, if I'm uh, you know in a a conversation with uh, uh, with someone that I want to get out of, one way of doing it is simply to overshare. Uh, You overshare, and that person is kind of a bit disarmed, and you can walk away from the the conversation. So I think we've kind of uh, weaponized our, our Privacy to to a certain extent, but it, it's kind of interesting listening to to, to Danya and relating it back to what we were talking about revenge tropes. Unfriending is Danya's revenge trope. <laughs> you know that's that seems to be the way that you know you 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 take out that emotion <laughs> on on the people who who wronged you. You know you you erase them from from your life. But yeah, I I think those those. Notions of privacy uh, have definitely eroded. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think I've ever felt that I needed a, a great deal of privacy because I'm I'm quite a solitary person anyway. So uh, I'm not sharing a lot of information with people a lot of the time. In any case, so unless they're actually in my head, there's no way to 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 get that information. So anything that I've got out into the public sphere has already gone through whatever privacy filters. Uh I possess, and I just assume that anything I post on social media is for public consumption, so I'm not someone who puts sort of um you know uh, life markers or anything like that out on on social media i I mostly just make um stupid puns and horrible jokes
1: <laughs> which is by the way folks that that's what he is in real life as well, so <laughs> there's no there's no fancy persona there from Armitage. Um, ah, but is that
0: my privacy filter?
1: Ah, uh, God, man, I I don't know who would be, what would we be if we were growing up in this time? Now we'd be very different people. Um, we would because
0: uh, we'd have had uh, access to dating apps.
1: <laughs> I'm not quite sure to take that. We're both happily married men.
0: <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> uh,
1: okay, well, um, give up on that privacy thing, like like Dunya. That's what you have to do. But I should know, in Europe, though, aren't the EU, the EU are very strict on these things, though, aren't they?
0: Well, they, they are. There's a lot of uh, privacy regulations. But again, what does that actually mean? I mean, that really just means that it limits the ability of companies to track your movements uh, across the internet. It limits what uh, journalists can uh, publish about you. But when we look at the technologies that are coming through, like this this WIFRAC system, a lot of those frameworks are largely irrelevant, because we're not having conversations about this technology. I mean, as, as you were both saying, you were quite shocked about this, this technology. But actually, versions of this technology have been around for five or six years mm. already. This is just uh, an evolution that allows you to map stationary objects before it was limited to, to movement, uh, because you were just cutting an old-fashioned, you know uh, echolocation kind of field, Um, what we've got to now is that it can now map reflections of stationary objects as well and create that 3D map from it. But we could have had conversations about this technology back in 2017. We haven't. We sleep through a lot of these advances. It's like the way that AI has impacted us. We could have had those conversations 10 years ago, but unfortunately, regulators and lawmakers don't
1: want to do that. We could have had those conversations when The Matrix first came out. Well, well,
0: we we could have done, yeah. I
1: mean, uh, uh, but yeah. Uh, but instead, um, we live on this flat earth and people don't believe us. So uh, we have to move on, though. And in a moment, we're going to talk about parasocial relationships here on Better Culture BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Ruslan, Matt Armitage, and Danya Naya. And now, Danya, parasocial relationships.
2: Yeah, so... Um, I was thinking about this recently because I don't know if you guys have heard and are as excited that think have come back and like have been like doing things together. Uh, the millennials are very excited, um, but it, it just sort of brought this idea of how parasocial relationships have existed for the longest time. I, I think it gets, I think parasocial relationships get a, a bad rep because of the internet nowadays and because people have so much access to everything. But I feel like there's a debate to be had about parasocial relationships about where how they benefit us and you know when does it get to a point Dan, of
1: Daniel before you go too far down this road. Um, yeah. could you could you define parasocial oh, so I divide, okay. because I, both Matt and myself had to Google it
2: <laughs> it's basically a one-sided relationship that you have with someone um who you're never really gonna meet um it's it's most common with like bands and musicians uh you know, and there's also, Uh, actors and also people who don't exist, like fictional characters, you can have uh, parasocial relationships with them. Um, So those are the kinds that everyone, has, almost everyone I'm sure has had this kind of relationship before, even if you didn't know what it was called, but you've definitely had it before. Um, And and I think we've come to a point where, because we can see so much of other people on the internet, where I think it's good to have a talk about whether it benefits us and when when it's gone too far, um, Because I think to me, for example, I like BTS and, you know, in my (laughs) head, I'm like friends with them in my head, (laughs) in my head. But I I get joy from watching them and listening to their music and I don't really feel the need to meet them in person and actually become friends. Like I, I don't want to do that. I like the way things are now. And I think doing that brings me also out to other people who love it and I have a community community around it um, almost who I can talk to about it so I feel like it's a thing that gives you happiness and comfort and a sense of comfort and also just builds your world with other people who also again you might never meet but at least you have can have conversations with them online and things like that um, but I think it, it can also get to a point where sometimes people especially like uh, I also <laughs> have parasocial relationships with like anime characters and things like that um, oh, okay. because you get things from these kind of people or or fictional characters, you feel like there's no need to really go out and seek those kind of emotions from other people in the real world. Um so I think there's also that thing about being stuck inside and not going out and staying reclusive. Um mm-hmm. and also it can get to the point where if you are really obsessed where, you know, you you can get to like an extreme version will be stalking someone or you know, just like trying to meet them in person because in your head the in your the relationship you have in your head, you feel like it's real and you sort of go and try and make it real. Um so but I just you've gone,
1: to, you've gone beyond that now though, haven't you? I've, uh, I've that, gone
2: I don't I don't need the <laughs> you're I don't past that the, now. I'm past it. I'm I'm I, we I, shouldn't be I mean, man,
1: and I shouldn't be calling the police right now. No, I've i
2: had a healthy relationship <laughs> right. with the parasocial relationship. So I, I just wanted with, to get like what whether yeah. you guys like what parasocial relationship do you guys have?
1: So Matt, I mean, you and I—I I, I certainly was thinking that that when Daniel came, it should be talking about relationships with people who are actually, you know, friends who are you, you know, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. You see, uh, instead, though, it's it's about us. Uh, so how is how is it, how are your parasocial relationships with Echo and the Bunny Man and uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners coming along?
0: <laughs> no, it's it's quite it's quite interesting. The, I mean, obviously, I come from a generation where that kind of interaction wasn't really possible. Yeah. Um, You know, when I was when I was younger and much more in that kind of fan phase of of things, of course, you know, people used to write letters to their favorite pop stars and things like that. I mean, I was always too lazy to do anything like that. Uh, I I lived kind of vicariously through uh, the kind of music press, I guess, for the 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 kind of idols that I have. Um, But you know, uh, obviously, as a as a writer, I've had or you know, a, a journalist he said in inverted commas, uh, "I've had the opportunity to go and interview people who have been uh, my heroes." And I mean, you mentioned Echo and the Bunnyman, and I, I once did a radio interview with the lead singer of Echo and the oh. Um and that <laughs> was amazing. And uh, also one of the um, one of the members of the Ramones, Dee um, Dee huh. Ramone. I mean, that was a, a fantastic experience. But by and large, I've kind of avoided it. Uh, I had the opportunity to interview Nick Cave uh, a few years ago and his music has been you know so important to me and such a big part of my life for decades and he has such a reputation for destroying journalists who interview him I didn't put the request in because I didn't want my interaction with him to Damn. spoil the relationship that I had with with the music so maybe that's slightly different from a parasocial
2: relationship
0: yeah. uh it was you know not wanting to to get into that but i just wondered um I, I know i'm speaking too much but i just wondered if there's also that flip side to the parasocial relationship because again daniel you have kind of a, a public uh persona do you get people coming and talking to you who think they know you through the radio show and that kind of you know puts you off foot because you're kind of thinking that you should have the same level of uh, knowledge or connection with them that they think they have with you. Mm. Yeah, Daniel.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. To be honest, it's always a shock to me that people know yeah. me if I do meet them. It's um, that there is a sense of um, them knowing who I am, and especially with with news reading, um, there's some people that come and tell me things like. Or they love people love, love to correct things. People love to like, oh, this is how you should say things, or I think you should have done this better. So it's always a sort of yeah. shock because <laughs> it's that there's as an, an assumed relationship of we're close enough mm-hmm. for me to give you this feedback. Um, even like you know, in, in polite conversation, I feel like you wouldn't necessarily jump into the first thing yeah. you see, like, oh, I heard you on the radio that day, like I think you should do this, and I'm, you know, it, it's a yeah, bit yeah. of a, a shock to know that the boundaries you normally would have with people who you meet, like in real life. It's sort of no longer there like people people think they have a right to i guess to you and also what what you do um
1: yeah that, that's the yeah. malaysian middle class but that's, they're the worst you know? nothing's ever good enough when you see
0: I'm, I'm not allowed to say that but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you pronounced
1: that wrong lee <laughs> Yeah, you ended that with a preposition.
0: Yeah, or, or <laughs> oh, you're you're fatter in real life. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> yeah,
2: yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, Anyway, before we do, we go down that road, um, yeah, but we really are shaped by 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 the technology because I remember though when I was uh, living in London back in the eighties, I would walk past this house where Boy George lived, and mm. standing outside the house there would always be some pale, sad boys who were just pale and sad and um but they worship boy george and they would stand and wait there and i and i i I love david bowie but i would never have thought of um wanting to no i did used to walk past the house where david lean lived he's a filmmaker yeah um and that that meant a lot to me but i mean if and i was and he never walked out of the house but if he had walked out of the house um I, yeah, I mean, I stood there for a very long time, so there's was, there was a good chance he might have done. <laughs> so,
2: wait, so, what, so, were you walking by with the hope that he would would walk by? Like, is that the yeah? The you, and, the, and then yeah. I
1: knew, I knew that he knew that that I was the chosen one. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: but that moment never happened. Um, uh, yeah, but I, I know. Yeah, so there I was starting off by saying that I would never have wanted to have met the Beatles or David Bowie, but. Other ones, perhaps. I don't. Mm. The end. I don't know. I
0: mean, I, I never, I never really got to to that stage. But I had the perfect moment with East Seventeen once. I was oh, driving big fan. through London. Big fan. Yeah, <laughs> um, I was driving through through London once. I was stopped at a traffic light, and East Seventeen pulled up next to me at the traffic light in uh, a convertible BMW with the top down with hip-hop pumping out of the car, and I just thought, that's perfect. If you see East 17 in real life, that's all you want from them, you know, living that kind of LA lifestyle in East London in a drop-top BMW, music pumping, sunny day, and that was perfect for me. I didn't need to pull, pull the window down and say hello. That was it. That was and, just the and Dania has
1: 17. Dania has no idea who you're talking about.
2: I've done. i don't, absolutely.
0: <laughs> absolutely. You can you can Google it after I, uh, I will, after
2: I the will. show. But I mean, it
1: would have been a lot better story if it had been the Spice Girls you saw.
0: But <laughs> well, um, I mean, I saw I saw Kylie driving down my road. Okay. Once, well, and not, I did
1: interview
2: her
0: on the phone as well. Okay, we're no, not going to go
1: down the road of uh, have the 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 best celebrities we've met. Uh, no, no, no. Mine's Leo Sayer in a public toilet. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the same um, with Robbie
1: Williams. Right. Well, I, that's just gonna happen statistically, that's just not so likelihood. But finally we'll, we'll move on there. Quickly. Um, so Danya we're clearly shaped differently by the technology and the sense of access. You know, so the for Matt and myself, we never imagined that there could be any. But you're Yeah, I mean, when you talk about fictional characters as well, you're that' you're being lured into thinking That you can and do have some kind of palpable relationship. I mean,
2: mean, it it doesn't, I mean, if if you, with Japanese fans, there's a lot of people who sort of view characters as like, they jokingly call like a husband, like a person they like, like husband or waifu, wife and husband kind of thing. But I don't really see it that way. It's just more of like, it feels like I'm watching, how do I say this? It's going to sound crazy anyway, but it's fun to think. Imagine you're watching a reality show, but it's animated and you feel like you're part of their lives and you are just sort of a fly on the wall watching them. And it feels like you are a friend, but you don't really interact with them. They're, they're, they're a friend to you and you don't really have to say anything to each other. You just, you guys are there together in this experience. Um, I would, I would like you to even like reading Harry Potter was almost a parasocial relationship also, I would say, because you are in this relationship with these, People who obviously are never going to talk back to you. And, um, but, but you feel like you're a friend with them along the ride throughout the books when you read them. Um, yeah. So, so there's no sort of, you don't, there's no, to me at least, there's no big idea of like, oh, this is my best, Harry Potter's my best friend. There's no thing like that. This is more of, I'm an invisible friend with these people going through their school lives in their magical world kind of thing.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, I, I really, I get that. I very much so. I just think that <laughs> people are, generation man myself we never had the the chance it never crossed our minds we never had the chance to think that it could go anything beyond just simply just looking at the screen and and being Mm. from a distance
2: yeah i think it's more a comfort thing as well i think i think because like we have so much access it's become a big comfort thing so i think people think about it more Mm. these days
1: yeah Yeah, matt uh final word
2: well yeah i was just going to say i mean
0: um I recently started following a, a photographer called Kevin Westerberg on Facebook and commenting on his posts. And he was responsible for a lot of the um, magazine covers in the late '80s and early '90s, mostly mostly music, but magazines like the Face, ID, and New Musical Express. And I get more of a kick out of him replying to my comments on Facebook than I think I do out of any of the kind of. You know interactions that I've had with with celebrities simply because he played such a crucial role in defining how music looked and felt at that time. His work was in all of these magazines, on all of these these covers. And whenever you post things, it doesn't just bring back um, oh, I remember that image. It remembers what you felt like at the time. So when he responds to me. It's kind of like he's interacting with my memories of the past as well.
1: Yeah. It's a bit like with Naa Mourad when uh, Mark Hamill actually responded to one of his tweets. Like, well, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so not- so for me, actually, Dania, it would have been David Lean, um, not David Bowie or Paul McCartney or whatever. They're just two out there. <laughs> but but the filmmaker, David Lean. What about you, Danya? Ultimate.
2: Oh, ultimate? Oh, that's hard. That's hard.
1: I mean, not necessarily right now, but in the course of your life. Mm. I
2: think well, I know
1: that's... who I actually and and you're refusing to say.
2: <laughs> Is it? Do you? you want me to say Shah Rukh Khan?
1: <laughs> I want you to say Sharukhan.
2: <laughs> Khan, yes, Shah Rukh Khan, who I was obsessed with since when I was young, and cried when my poster of him, like mysteriously went missing, and then I thought God was punishing me, and it was a it was a great time, it was a good time, good time <laughs> as a young girl. Yep, yeah, yeah, good yeah,
1: time. yeah okay so um uh well we move on and uh, we move on to the final part of the show recommendations where we recommend something that we think might be of interest and uh i go first so my recommendation is it's a short movie it just came out on netflix by wes anderson i love wes anderson and it's called the wonderful story of henry sugar it's about 40 minutes long um mostly kind of set in if if Wes Anderson movies are set in any place in um, India, he has a, a real thing for India and uh, it's pure Wes Anderson. It's like condensed Wes Anderson and it's really good. I really like it. And I would love to see Wes Anderson direct Taken 5. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a fantastic enough. And I know, I yeah, know Liam Neeson could do it. Liam Neeson would be so good. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's my recommendation. Um the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, um, a short
0: movie by Wes Anderson. Um Matt. Well, I I watched that last night actually the the Henry Sugar and I uh, have to say that uh the short form storytelling really does work for for Wes Anderson. I mean, he really kind of packs the, yeah. the narrative in. Um But I'm actually going to say, I've I've changed what I was going to say based on what you were saying about uh, Taken, actually. And it's actually just uh, watching movies again or or watching series again. I've been watching a lot of things um, for a second or third time recently um, for various reasons. And one of the things I watched again was The Walk Amongst the Tombstones. That's a great film. Which is a great film. It's actually one of the... Revenge movies that Liam Neeson's done that actually stands up as a movie. Mm. Uh, you know, he actually acts in it, and there's a bit of depth, and there's a bit of character development. It's not just you know piau piau like most of the movies he does. And I was, I was astonished at how well that movie still stood up because obviously I think it's is it from about 2014 or is it a yeah, bit? It's that. It's
1: not that old. It's not. It's not. A, no, no. It's not super yeah. old, but I mean. No.
0: You know, often we see with the advances in technology, you know, iPhones and things like that, it's it's made a lot of movies that are ten years and older seem uh, a lot more anachronistic than than they actually are. But a walk amongst to the tombstones still seems very fresh, still seems very vital, um and and relevant in in maybe a way that sort of taken one and two don't quite.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it's um I think it's it's up there as his best actually. It's a
0: really good film. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good film, yeah,
1: yeah, Dania, check it out.
2: I, I don't will. Know I will. I'll kind of watch thing. Wes Anderson's and and Liam Neeson. I love both of them, so I will. Ah, do... well, there you
1: go. <laughs> okay, uh, so let's walk among the two tombstones. And uh, Dania, what's yours?
2: Uh, I'm going to recommend a podcast. It's called "Mates in Space." Uh, full of, full disclosure that I do know one of the hosts, um, but it's a uh, it's these two Australian boys uh, from Adelaide who basically talk about. Um, developments in space, they've interviewed like the deputy premier of South Australia about, you know, their space agency and things like that. And I think it's, it's interesting because they talk about uh, developments with space, like the Chandrayaan-3 landing and things like that, um, in a way that's not boring. Because normally I can't stand these kind of things because it, it's too technical and I can't, I'm sorry, Matt, but I just gave you a shot. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I, I can't stand it because it's too technical sometimes and I, it, it's hard to, it's hard to, digest it sometimes but it's too much it's too technical um but I like it because it's easy flowing and it's easy to understand and there's a lot of banter you might get a Catherine Hepburn impersonation at some point in the podcast um but but it's really fun to listen to it and you learn a lot as well um mm-hmm. yeah so I would recommend that you can find it on Spotify or Apple podcast wherever you get your podcast it's called mates at space
0: uh, Matt, you were nodding along. You heard of it? You are you familiar with? No, no, I, I, I haven't. I mean, I love, I love podcasts that kind of um, humanise the the subject. But of course, you know, Dan here has just completely dissed the show that I've been doing for BFM for the last however long. Um, but, uh, but the, the no, infant- I love, I uh, love
2: Tech Talk because I love Tech Talk a bit.
0: Thank you. Um, but well, no, so- the, the Infinite Monkey Cage is a, another one. Uh, and there's uh there's a couple of other bbc ones that do um a similar kind of thing they they really do a great job of um making the information accessible in in a way that i really envy yeah except the earth is flat
1: so i don't know what these people are talking about
0: <laughs> so, uh, yeah and also i wanted to know if uh when you said you know one of the yeah, hosts yeah, what's is this? Uh, is that in a, a parasocial way <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: No, we went, to, we went to university together. We went oh, to cool. university together, yes. No no parasocial relationship here. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. shout out to Jack Eaton and Justin MacArthur who host the podcast, yeah.
1: M- mates in space. Mates,
2: mates in space, w- yeah. Mates
1: in space. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, uh, well, well, that then brings us to the end of this week's show, and it uh, only remains me now to thank uh, Dania Naya. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having me. It was fun, as always.
1: Yeah, it's always fun to have you here. And uh, Matt Armitage.
0: Anytime I get to talk about Liam Neeson is a good day out for me. Xavier, I I I love the the Liam Neeson genre. Uh yeah.
1: it's a thing, isn't it? Like there's a Tom Cruise genre.
0: Well, also there's that that um when Tom Hanks did a Liam Neeson, I can't remember the name hey, of the, the I can't remember the name of the film where he's a a, a hitman for um Irish mafia in the nineteen twenties. Oh, it's genuinely
1: isn't that the the Paul Newman one, Redemption? Yes, Redemption. Oh, Euro, yeah, the Christopher Nolan film, isn't it, Christopher Nolan?
0: Uh, poss- I can't remember. I yeah. think it is, um, but it's it's one of his best performances because mm. you know he's he's something that um, you don't expect. The same with uh, Tom Cruise when he's the hitman in that uh, Taxi Base. Yeah, I didn't much like that with hitman. Jamie Foxx. Didn't oh, I love that. One of yeah. the performances. Collateral, is that class? Collateral, yeah. 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 Oh,
1: look at us. We should talk trashy movies next time. So <laughs> um, I know,
0: forget all this high stuff.
2: Yeah, we're always up. talking about
1: parasocial relationships.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so anyway, well, thank you very much. And um, uh, join us next time for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM
0: 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.